We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. We've got a special guest host, Andy Martino of SNY, covers the Yankees and Mets with Scott in Vegas for the Super Bowl. Hopefully he's not in a ditch upside down somewhere. Andy, welcome to the show. Hello, Andrew. Nice to be back. Yes, you've been on a couple times. We've uh, we've talked at length about Brian Cashman and, and his relationship with Steinbrenner and I don't know if maybe the end is coming coming soon for, for Cashman if things don't turn around for the Yankees, and I'm definitely interested in getting your thoughts on that. But first, you know, off the top, how do you think this offseason has gone for the Yankees? I think and they think, Andrew, that it's gone pretty well, although I do sense some level of disappointment or lack of total satisfaction with what they've been able to accomplish on the pitching front. Uh, we know how good they are at finding diamond and the rough relievers and turning them into better relievers. And they trust their program as far as that goes. Uh, and in terms of the rotation, look, there's so much upside still there with Carlos Radon, who still has amazing stuff. Um, and maybe that solves the issue if he can get back to himself. But of course, they would have liked to have added a, a Corbin Burns, a Dylan Cease, a Blake Snell. I mean, if they could have controlled that. I mean, they didn't want it enough to pay whatever it took for any yeah. of these players, whether in dollars or prospects. But if they're, their self-assessment, which is obviously more important than my assessment, is that um, they'd like just a little bit more high-end pitching, but they feel pretty pretty okay about where they're at. And that's where I have a problem with the offseason. Like, obviously, no one who has watched more than one inning of baseball is going to tell you Juan Soto was a bad deal for this team. Like, obviously, they've upgraded the lineup. They've upgraded the outfield, which was a complete disaster last year. But when they basically went into this offseason telling us, like, we have to upgrade the lineup, but also Yamamoto is our top target on the market, who's a top end starting mm -hmm. pitcher for the next decade. And then you don't get that. And what they fall back on is Stroman 
nice pitcher. Hopefully can can uh, overcome some injury problems last year and be a nice middle of the rotation piece. But there's just still so many question marks in this rotation behind Cole that by the Yankees' own doing and telling us Yamamoto was their top target and then not getting something comparable to Yamamoto when he signed with the Dodgers. Like it's an easy second guess for fans to say, well, you didn't do what you even set out to do. And there's still pitchers available out there. And we see Corbin Burns get traded to to the Orioles last week. And we see other trade targets there. And then there's still two, two free agents available, whether they want to sign with the Yankees or not. Like we can talk about that, but you still have Montgomery and Snell on the market. If they really want to upgrade the starting rotation, they could pay for that. And so that's where I think um, I have a problem with this offseason. That's where if you're hanging out with the Yankees uh, brass, they would probably not strongly disagree with some of what or a lot of what you've just said. As I just articulated, they wanted a little more high-end pitching. I will say that any team that missed out on Yamamoto felt a tremendous sense of relief probably. Uh, because I heard you say that. Yeah, I heard, I saw that clip and you say yeah. that and it's because of the year commitment. It was like, you know what? It got crazy. And this can happen obviously with free agency. It was like when, when this off season began and when I first started reporting on this uh, in earnest, it was like, Hey, Senga, could I Senga with the Mets got $75 million? Hey, Yamamoto might double that. Cause he's really good. Okay, cool. And then as the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Mets, start in the process of having these meetings and making their bids, all of a sudden it's like, how did we get to Garrett Cole money for someone who's never thrown a pitch in this league? It is insane. So there's no baseball operations department in this game that would have wanted to give him no offense to him. Maybe he's great. This actually isn't a comment on how he's going to pitch. No one would have wanted to give him that contract. And if the Yankees had, given him 10 years and $300 million, if he would have taken that offer, which they were probably like, oh, here's the offer, go to the Dodgers. <laughs> I might be exaggerating a little, but if he would have done that, they would have been so hamstrung uh, because like every team, they operate with a budget. It's obviously significantly higher budget than any other team, just about, other than the Dodgers and Mets. No, not anymore. Not not anymore. The Dodgers, what they're doing. Well, I said other than the Dodgers the and Mets. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my point is they have a budget. So he got signed a guy to a 10-year deal as the situation they're in with Stanton right now, and it hamstrings you in certain ways for years to come. So um, they, I think any team would rather patch together a rotation in ways other than giving one guy that kind of money, unless he's Garrett Cole. Uh, <laughs> Snell uh, is another, we could certainly, there's a discussion to be had over whether he's worth the 200 plus million that he, he wants. Uh, the Yankees ended up getting a real bargain on Stroman because of the questions uh, that have followed him about the way he comports himself. He, he took a huge haircut on his contract for the quality of pitcher that he is. Uh, so they went in that direction, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, I, I've never, I've never said that I like that signing, um, but the Stroman signing. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Do, and do do you not like it? Well, will you say right now? Do you like it or dislike it, or you want to you want to remain on the fence about it? <laughs> Uh, are your questions with Stroman more his pitching capabilities or his uh, fit for the Yankees in that clubhouse? I think the pitching, I, some of the injuries last year, particularly the hip, are, are somewhat concerning. Um, Marcus Stroman, who I covered with the Mets for a couple of years, 
uh, is such a complicated person that it's really hard to talk about him without having an extremely in-depth conversation. He's intelligent. He's made really good points, really good critiques of uh, the way that sports is covered, uh, the way that uh, unconscious bias, like, for example, when Diamondbacks broadcaster Bob Brenly said, oh, you just never saw Tom Seaver wear a do-rag, Stroman made a great critique, strong critique of that. There have been other times when he's come after reporters and um, probably fans too online where it's like a little too strong. Uh, liking a tweet with an anti-Italian slur was something that sticks in one's craw. But at the same time, this is a guy whose anger might be justified based on the way he was treated growing up as a young black kid in Long Island. So I just think like Marcus Stroman is like, his personality is like a, a graduate seminar that we could all have. So I don't want to like say, you know, something that can be reduced to he, he's a good guy or he's a bad guy. It's very complicated. Um, and I think that as far as how he's going to fit in the clubhouse, I do think he's a guy who I know he's a guy who managers like because he competes his ass off. Luis Rojas, of course, his former manager, the current Yankees third base coach was consulted about this and he gave him a strong stamp of approval. I can tell you that. Uh, I think he and Cole are going to like each other because they both have that pitching nerd side. They're very interested in um, not just pitch design and things of that nature, but biomechanics and all kinds of technical stuff that they could talk about. Uh, they're very, very different guys, but interest have that common interest. Uh, so I think he could fit okay. I just think that you're going to have your moments where it's like, I mean, it's good that he's off social media, so maybe at least those moments won't spill into the public. Well, and obviously, it is always going to come back to his on-field performance. If he's pitching well, those other things won't be magnified. And if he's struggling, those things will be magnified. We saw that with Carlos Rodon last year. When he was injured for up until July, he comes back, he struggles, and he, he flips off a fan or blows it. He blew a uh, kiss to a fan. Blew a kiss. Blew a kiss to a fan. You yeah. know what? I want to talk about which is uh, Which I said on the podcast that next day, I would have rather he flipped someone off. That's less offensive than blowing a kiss sarcastically. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell a little backstory about that. I think I reported it on, a, I think I wrote a little thing or buried in a column or something in the year, but just to, the, to like the complexity of all these situations, uh, there, when that was going on, there was a guy with his little, I believe it was daughter, I want to say, not son, but a little, a little child who was sitting right behind the Yankees dugout in Anaheim who was cursing out Josh Donaldson um, and saying really filthy things to him through through the game. And it was like, dude, you got your little girl here. Um, and finally, uh, Donaldson turns to the to the guy. He's like, are you proud of yourself? What you're saying in front of your child here? And um, that was the guy that Radon blew the kiss at. Oh, there was a, okay. a prior situation going on there. So that, like, some, you know, like, there's always more than we know. Um, sure. And I didn't hear that until much later. A little bit later, um, but the showing up of Matt Blake later in the season was real, yep, uh, and that was not great. Um, so, yeah, and overall, I will say that between Radone, Stroman, and Alex Verdugo, uh, yeah, he's another one. I Aaron about Judge, it. the captain, and Aaron Boone, the manager, do have a fair amount of important players who have fair or not been followed by questions of like makeup, as they call it, uh, through their career. Um, so, and I don't want to paint these guys are too broad a brush. I don't even know. Never, I don't know Alex Verdugo. I know Stroman. I know Redon a little. Everyone's complex, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I will say that Boone's 
elite level clubhouse management will get a further test this year with some of the personalities that are in there. I can't tell if you're being sarcastic. When no, you no, I mean it. Okay. He's, he's one of the best at that, at dealing with people. Well, and, that's the whole um, reason he was hired. It, it was, it was his hopefully ability to communicate with the players and manage a clubhouse and manage personalities because that has become more important, probably not just in baseball and all sports than your on-field tactics. Yeah. And his on-field tactics is another conversation. I think they've dramatically improved over the years. Um, but he built, he is a, he's a real culture builder and uh, now he's absorbing some guys in who have had some trouble elsewhere. Uh, Boone is really close friends with Alex Cora and Cora and Verdugo had a hard time yep. uh, with each other. He got so, benched for hustle. I know yeah. with Boston, yeah. um, which that's an, Yankees and Red Sox fans are similar in that sense. You dog it down first base, you're going to get booed. Like that's yeah. that's an easy that's an easy thing to boo a player about. So, but I don't know that go- Boone. I don't know that Boone benches a player for lack of hustle. I know Alex Cora does. I don't. I don't know that Boone does. He benched Aaron Hicks once mid game when Hicks like fell asleep in the middle of a ball. That went <laughs> Derek Jeter night. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, was it? I didn't remember that. It, it was Jeter was being honored for something that night, and Aaron Hicks had just a disastrous game. I re- I, re- I remember both of those events, but I didn't remember that they were on the same day. Uh, yeah. So it's a good recall by you. Now, the one thing, the one critique, and I told this to Boone's face is that. He did the right thing with Hicks, uh, but then he said at the end of the game, I wasn't punitive. It's like, <laughs> it's like yeah, just own it. He did the right thing. Just say you yeah. did the right thing. It's okay. But anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. But uh, it, that's a good point that he's a, not one to embarrass a guy, and that's no. one of the reasons. Plays like with guys like Verdugo, from what I understand about Verdugo with uh, Verdone and Stroman and guys, if you're winning, they have a great edge. If you're yep. losing, they're cancerous, and like it's a lot of perception involved. I think the in same thing probably with Donaldson. When when yeah. I mean, and Donaldson didn't play well. I, I think he had an okay first half of 2022. From, sure. I mean, the whole team was great in 2022 yeah. first half, right? <clears throat> but uh, Donaldson really struggled last year. I mean, we were looking at the numbers; it was hard to believe he had like 11 hits and nine of them were home runs at one point. It was oh, just yeah, like it was just weird, but. You know, he became a problem because he wasn't hitting and then he, he got benched and he has always been a questionable clubhouse guy. But you're right. As long as the on field is going well, you can overcome things in the clubhouse. Verdugo, I'm less worried about because he's this is a one year thing. If he doesn't work out with the Yankees, like you, you could get rid of him midseason, really. Like if, if it's that bad, like it, I'm not too worried about that. Stroman's a multi-year deal. Rodon, I'm, I'm petrified of just with how last season went and the commitment they made to him, which, you know, to take it back to the rotation and they're them not doing something to shore up the, the rotation um, beyond cold. Everyone has a question mark. And anytime you go into a 162 game season, one or more of those question marks is going to actually be a problem in a season and then at that point what is this rotation what is the depth there they traded michael king who i'm not second guessing like of course you trade michael king for for juan soto in that package but he was going to be another depth guy in this rotation you feel that loss and he's and at the very least michael king was going to be the weapon he was in the bullpen for you the past few years and now they're talking about loisaga taking that role loisaga has never stayed healthy in a, in a season he's been in the major leagues so the depth in this the depth and question marks in this pitching staff not just the rotation to me is is a big problem going into this season and i don't know how you go into this year 
basically saying we're we're going we're pushing all our chips in we're trading for Juan Soto we're making these moves it it's a it's a win or bust type of season with Cole and Judge still in their primes i don't know how you don't just go out and and try and clear up some more of your question marks maybe they do it in spring maybe they do it in the middle of the season but they have the resources to do it now and that's my issue well, let me try to presume to put you in Brian Cashman's mind a little bit on that uh, issue. i love this i love this because I, can, I can do this i've spent Quite a bit of time, and especially in the past couple of years, we're like talking a lot with him and about his process. And he tends not to think in broad strokes like that. He thinks about it transaction to transaction. Um, so I just, you can agree or disagree. But uh, so he's not, the way you just framed it would be a very foreign framing to Brian Cashman and the way his mind works. Uh and I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm saying he would think, okay, I the, the Soto trade happens in a vacuum where uh, the player is available because the Padres are where they are. We've accumulated a good amount of pitching depth where it's going to hurt to trade all those young pitchers, but we can probably absorb it. Um, it's one year, so we're not too worried about the money. Hal Steinbrenner is okay going over $300 million. All these things like add up to that transaction. Okay, this transaction now makes sense. I can live with it. And on the Soto one with the star player like that, I'm sure you have folks from the business side saying too, uh, there's a marketability factor. There's a fan morale factor. Yeah. Those those things go into it. So all those things made that transaction make sense. Okay, great. Now you move on to Yamamoto. We've already talked about that. A little bit of relief that that doesn't work out. Then you go on to Snell. I don't know that they actually made an offer to Snell. In fact, I'm told that they, that they have not. Um, but that so might the be five and it was like five and one eighty was the report or something like that or yeah, six and so they talked terms I, whether they made an offer or whatever I guess that doesn't seem that. close though right like so that that's essentially a non offer if he's asking for two twenty so you go into that and you say okay this is about what we think this pitcher's worth based on his production and our projections and so this is what we're comfortable with oh this is where you are that doesn't make sense for the Yankees. That's the way he thinks, right? Yep. So now, along, so all on the offseason, they've been talking to the White Sox about Dylan Cease, and we're talking to Brewers about Corbin Burns. Um, okay, Brewers GM Matt Arnold, uh, let's have a conversation. What are you looking for for Burns? Now, Andrew, I can't give you the players' names. I wish I could, um, but I can tell you that the initial conversation was like, whoa, nope, that makes no sense. Sorry. Um, can we stop? Can kidding. we stop there for a second? So yeah. to me... Uh, do you think – I know I'm asking you to speculate, but do you think the Brewers, based on what they ended up getting from Baltimore, I have to imagine they were only asking for prospects. They weren't asking for major league pieces, right? They were looking for uh, – I mean, those players are a little older. They were looking for a major close to major league ready. They weren't so looking for do like – you think uh, Volpe was in the conversation? I couldn't say. Uh because like, other than other I'm than not holding back on you, uh, yeah. Other than uh, so, Volpe, I understand. Like they're not going to trade away who they hope is their future All Star shortstop, and like you trade away Volpe, then then who's playing shortstop this year? So I get that. But like, if it's Spencer Jones or even Jason Dominguez, like to just hang up the phone immediately, I think is is not doing your job. If you're Brian Cashman, like you have to have that conversation because Corbin Burns, I know he's an only a one year player, but like. We don't we don't know what Spencer Jones is going to be like. He's far away from the major leagues. Jason Dominguez played what was it, eight games last year, mm -hmm. and he's out until the middle of the season. I don't want to well, trade Jason Dominguez, but I'm not hanging up the phone immediately. Uh, well, 
perhaps they had a polite ending of the conversation. It may have been, and you know, talked about their families and small time. I mean, it may not have been an immediate hang up, yeah. uh, but I, I hear what you're saying. And again, to them, it's just, and I can't say who, I, all I know is the names that were discussed. Yeah. It did not get serious to the point where like, it was Brian Cashman with his inner circle. Would you do this? Would you do this? Well, he never got that far down the tracks. And, and then he's an Oriole. But again, they look at a transaction to transaction. What is one year of Corbin Burns at that salary point worth? And then what is the cost we're willing to pay? And they look at it in the way that he feels. And I would say just about every general manager feels, uh, with some exceptions, is like, I owe it to my owner and our um you have the fiduciary responsibility to our shareholders and like all those kinds of things that come into be rational about each transaction and and take it sort of one by one and say, does this make sense? So going through all those, it was, no, this doesn't, this doesn't, this doesn't. And some of that is Cashman may return to it, say a Dylan Cease conversation at another point. You can't just bend over right away if you want something like you don't become a good gm by like having urgency uh you don't like oh i gotta need this guy and that's kind of what they did with soto by giving up like eight pitchers and michael king was right they probably did lose that deal in a pure baseball sense you know but okay fine we gotta get soto whatever fine like they weren't gonna trade king it was gonna be have to be schmidt and then three days later fine we'll give you king you act like that on every trade you'd have an atrocious organization uh so that that's but then the, the the sum total of that is what I, and I see in your body language I think is is all right well shit we don't have enough pitching yeah exactly uh, exactly you find yourself in a situation where you fall short and then what then what good is hanging on to pieces for next year when uh, I understand you can't operate in eternity under that but I think there are points as a general manager as an owner or even in a game as a manager as a coach whatever there's go for it moments depending on the situation you're sure. in. And I think this needed to be a go for it off season. And what they did was they almost went for it with what, with the moves they've made so far And the off season's yeah. not over. I grant them that let's see how the roster looks on opening day. Let's see how the team is, is shaking out. And if they can make a deal in July, like I, all that is still on the table, mm-hmm. but there's just, a, in my opinion, it was an incomplete. Like it's, it's not a fail, obviously, but it's like it's like a you didn't you didn't do what you set out to do this offseason by your own admission. Well, I think on one level, as as we said at the beginning of this conversation, I think the Yankees would privately agree with what you're saying yeah. for the most part. Um, but again, they look at it like transaction. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to lose out on every you know on on a specific deal in a vacuum and, and i understand that angle of it too and then there's certainly i'm sure uh whether it's scouts analysts whoever that cashman is working with that are pushing him to to win those deals because that's what they're being paid to to do for the organization so so yeah that that makes do you think that has always been cashman's mentality or do you think that has evolved because i know you've oh, you've, you've spent a lot of time with them and and this book you've got coming out is probably going to get into a lot of this he doesn't think about like narrative arcs or big picture stuff as much. Like, for example, in interviewing him for the book, I asked him a couple of questions like about past years. When you took over as GM after being assistant GM, did you think like they they made the Chuck Knobloch trade just a couple of days later? 
And I, I, I like, did you think like, okay, now's my chance to put a stamp on the roster? He's like, no, not really. We were talking about Knobloch when uh, Bob Watson was here and we were blah, blah, blah. And it's like, and then we were able to uh, get the deal to the finish line. I didn't think of it like, oh, now I'm in charge. I'd been working on this all along. He kind of thinks of it like that. So when you try to think, like put like a broad stroke narrative on him, he really pushes back. Another one would be when I said, after the 2001 season, when all of those dynasty era guys retired, uh, did you look at it like, because this was a, uh, a group that developed, obviously, late 80s, early to mid 90s, when Cashman was working under Stick Michael and Bob Watson. And, and so now these a lot of these guys that you traded for developed are on the way out. I asked Cashman, do you now see this as now it's my chance to put my stamp on a roster for a new age for the Yankees? And he's like, as you might expect he would say at this point in our conversation, he said, no, no, I really just thought of it as, okay, what is our payroll? What are our needs? All right, O'Neal's retiring. So um, John Vanderwall is a free agent or Rondell White or whatever it was. And It was John Vanderwall, like, okay. yeah. Yeah, so it was just, it's all very process-based. Yeah. And the way that we talk about his team in columns or on the radio or in podcasts or whatever is very a different from the way that he wakes up in the morning and thinks about how to go about his job. It just, and, and, and again, I, I, we're talking about Brian Cashman, but I, you could say the same for just about any head of baseball operations, yep. but this is the guy who I happen to have interviewed at length about his entire career. And at every turn, like, okay, after 04, when that disaster happens in, in the ALCS, like, are you like motivated to try to, well, no, because you know, we saw, we had an opportunity with Randy. Jackson. <laughs> Come on. See where I'm going Come, like, that's why I need to push back and be like, you're being like a little that. disingenuous there. Like that, that was obviously a more reactionary move, which I get, like you just blew with a, a ALCS lead, like you and pitching was your problem. So, you know, that's, that's fair. And they wouldn't frame it. Like they would acknowledge, as I said before, like there may be some other voices out of baseball ops that have certain moves like Juan Soto and maybe Randy Johnson was an example of that. But my point is he doesn't sit there the morning after the ALCS and go, God damn those Red Sox. We need revenge like it would happen, like a fan would fantasize. Yeah, about it. I get it. We're going to take a quick break from the interview with Andy, and I want to tell you about Good Chop. For the past month, I've been telling you about ready-to-eat meal kits. Well, sometimes you want to cook a big, juicy hunk of meat. If that resonates with you, then you need to try Good Chop. And don't worry, we are not double dipping on food brands here at Bronx Pinstripes because Good Chop and Factor are all part of the HelloFresh family of meal services. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high quality meats and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. All, pro all products are vacuum sealed and frozen at peak freshness so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. You choose from over 75 high quality cuts. We're talking 100% grass-fed ribeye, pork tenderloins, thick-cut bacon, the good stuff. They offer sustainable wild-caught seafood too, salmon, Pacific cod, scallop, shrimp, and much more. My first box of Good Chop arrived yesterday. It included ribeyes, thick-cut bacon, shrimp, grass-fed ground beef, and wild-caught salmon. We cooked the salmon for dinner, and it was absolutely delicious. Good Chop sources meat and seafood exclusively from American farms and fisheries, so you are supporting local family farms and independent ranchers when you use this product. The best part is Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. This is a great price for quality meats and fish with no antibiotics or added hormones ever. 
Go to goodchop.com slash Bronx120 and use code Bronx120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That is an amazing deal. Goodchop.com slash Bronx120. That's $120 off. Code Bronx120 at goodchop.com slash Bronx120. Thank you very much, Good Chop. You mentioned like <clears throat> he's very process oriented. And I, I think back to that, um, I think it was at the GM meetings this past year when Cashman did that, that I called it a powwow. Oh, yeah. Were you at that? Were you, were you in that crowd? Oh, it was okay. 67 minutes. Oh my it. God. That was beautiful. We analyzed the hell out of that thing. I'm sure you did. He had, that was the most uh, emotion I've ever seen him show the most, um, uh, defense. He was very defensive, you know, defending the process and, and, and everything obviously called the injuries as, as a reason why this, so all of that. And it was, it was so interesting because like four hours earlier, Hal's doing that zoom call where he's kind of saying some opposite things of what Cashman was screaming about to all you guys that afternoon. And so, yeah, he was very uh, defensive of his process and and everything that they did. And I think about the, I think it was Joel Sherman who was pressing him on Peraza, right? Like why didn't Peraza play? Uh, Those two were back and forth yeah. on a couple of things. I think that was one of them. Yeah, and so and it's like that. That's a whole other thing where it's like they've done this before with prospects. Like Peraza's not the first one. They did it with Andujar, although he had more major league time. Obviously, Clint Frazier. They did it with Estevan Florial, where they hang on to these prospects. Hang on, hang on, hang on. The prospects lose value when at one mm-hmm. time maybe they could have gotten you a major league piece, and then they end up get, giving them away for nothing or DFAing them or whatever. And it's like. If you could have traded Peraza in a package two years ago for somebody, or if you could have traded Florial a couple years ago for somebody, and what if two years from now we're saying you could have traded Spencer Jones in a package for Corbin Burns, and now what is Spencer Jones? He's fighting for a roster spot in spring training, like, and he's yeah. 27 years well, old. Projections are so difficult in this game. I mean, because at the same time, I mean, sure, and they've been burned that way before. Uh, obviously, Frazier and Andahar, et cetera, that's, that's been a thing. But at the same time, when the, when they really wanted Andrelson Simmons and Jason Hayward in 2014, yeah, I know that. And it would have cost Judge Severino and, uh, yep. uh, Sanchez. Yeah, yeah, of course. We could have been like, well, you don't know what Aaron Judge is striking out every other yep. bat in the major leagues. Trade him for Andrelson Simmons. Why wouldn't you? It would have been disastrous. I, we, any, it would have been disastrous. Right. Yeah. So those are the toughest calls. One thing that the Yankees do better than just about any organization scout their own system and this is why yes sometimes they hold on to guys too long but they very rarely get burned with who they give up uh and that like literally what i mean by that is yeah when you when you go to i go to somerset a fair amount because i live not far from that um and they're double a team and every single time i'm in somerset either tim nearing is there the vp of baseball operations matt daly their head of scouting kevin reese the head of player development They have a high-level person watching their own players in almost every minor league game. The Mets do not do this. Uh, The the other team that I covered. So when they're trading people, you're relying on prospect rankings, which are a lot of, like, these guys work hard to make these. But they're looking at 30 30 systems, and it's like, how could you possibly really evaluate any single player when you're trying to evaluate thousands, or not thousands, however many it is, hundreds of players? The Yankees who have, as Cashman said that day angrily, and he was right, they have one of the most robust pro scouting departments in the game. And they watch their own minor leaguers in a way that I do not see any other team do. Okay. And I go to a fair amount of minor league games. So 
the flip side to I, that though is those players have not materialized into major league talent yes Aaron Judge turned into one of the best players in baseball you have to give credit to the Yankees you also have to give credit for Aaron Judge for going outside of the organization and, and revamping his swing but other than that they've consistently been able to d- develop what you know quad a players talent that hits at the minor league level gets to the major league level gets exposed doesn't get consistent playing time and that's what Joel Sherman was pressing Cashman about that day is like yeah you had you had no options at third base. Josh Donaldson was a disaster. At least play Peraza, and then Cashman is sitting there saying, "Well, where would he play? Where would he play?" It's like, well, it, the truth is because Peraza can't hit at the major league level. That's why he didn't play. And you've held on to Peraza. So as much as they've, to your point, like been good about evaluating their talent and not giving up someone that's going to blow up in their face, they've also not properly evaluated those players for their capabilities of playing on their major league team. That's true. They've held on to some guys for too long, 100%. Um, I don't know of a deal that where Peraza alone or Peraza as the centerpiece would have gotten you anyone that I can that I can remember. Wasn't he in the, the uh, Castillo from the Reds? Wasn't he? Yeah, but they would have been Volpe and Peraza. You wouldn't they have been able to get both of those guys? I- you, I, well, I would have to double check this, but I'm almost positive that they would not have gotten Castillo without trading Volpe. Okay. Well, but... Maybe I'm wrong. I don't, I'm speaking. Uh, you're right. Maybe here. maybe Praza is was never going to be the centerpiece of a trade. And by the way, Praza should be their shortstop. I think I'll I'll go off on the Yankees on this one. They are misevaluating their infielders, in my opinion. And uh, when when Anthony Volpe plays shortstop, you're like, there is a second baseman who's doing an unbelievable job of turning himself into a shortstop. But is it gold glove? When you watch Praza, you're like, oh my god, that's a shortstop. Yeah. So that's the shortstop. Yes, uh, I, I don't know. You you obviously know more about that than I do. But but they hope at least Volpe can be a a league average or better hitter. Can Peraza even be close to that? Because he's not shown that. I think that we don't know, and it would have been it would have behooved the Yankees to find a. I, it's easier to said than done because you have Glaber Torres second. This might be the last year of Glaber. Although um, if he has yeah. a good year, they're probably going to pay him, and I would. Not like that. I'm not feeling that. I'm not feeling that. Anything could happen, but I just I feel like he's going to be playing somewhere else in a year. I um, hope he has a good year and gets a contract from someone else. Frankly, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, I'm, by the way, I'm not like reporting that he's gone. I'm just saying like they never tried to extend. <laughs> Don't him. worry, we won't, <laughs> we won't blow yeah, up your yeah. spot. <laughs> it's not you guys. It's the rest of the internet. <laughs> you say something, and the next thing you know, anyway. Um, I, I don't know if Peraza, what Peraza's bat would do if in a, yeah. uh, with a full, your, your point is though, he's a true defensive major league shortstop Volpe and, yeah. is, I mean, he played better at shortstop defensively than I think a lot of people thought he was going to do last year. He won the gold gloves. Uh, yeah. Gold gloves, whatever. But like yeah. I used, but, I watched a lot of games and I used my eyes and he was better defensively than I thought yeah. he was going to be. He was worse offensively than I thought he was going to be, which is, but you know, the difference you watched a lot of games. So I bet you, you know, the difference between like, Hey, that looks pretty good versus like, Holy shit. That's the yeah. guy. Like, I'll give you a, I'll give you a, a judge in center field. Hey, Hey, wow. Not bad. Bader in center field. Whoa. That's a center fielder. Yeah. That's to me, I'm not saying Peraza's Bader-esque in his defense, but he makes plays in the whole, the arm, you know, the difference between the strength and throwing arms is yep. massive between Volpe and Peraza. And I just think that, like, Volpe's drawn uh, Dustin Pedroia comps for a lot of years, 
And there is nothing wrong with saying you are going to be a star second baseman for a decade. Um, and he definitely can make it work at short. I just think that's such an important defensive position that I wish for the Yankees' sake, the Peraza had gotten more of a run, be the guy. Yeah, I guess last year, though, if they're looking guess. at it, um, you're not going to start both of them that year in right. the infield. Um, and, and Volpe won the won job last spring. Yeah. And then he won the gold glove, and now you're kind of stuck. That's how I look at it. <laughs> I hope it's a good stuck, though. I hope he's uh, – projections, we were talking about this last week. I think projections have him at like a 98 WRC plus, so a little bit below league average. Like, that's a disappointment. Like, he's got to be better offensively mm-hmm. than that. Even if he's hitting ninth, he's yes. got to be better offensively yeah. than that. And that's like another thing with this lineup, to go into the lineup a little bit. Like, you added Soto and Verdugo. I love it. But unless they get – some some improvement out of Rizzo, who's coming back from concussion. He was good before that, but if he, he needs to be good or something needs to happen with Stanton or something needs to improve with LeMahieu, like you can't just rely on two hitters to have a good lineup. They were ranked 22nd in baseball, I think, last year in, in offense, and at points it was way worse than that. If all you're banking on is Soto and Judge to, to be MVP candidates, your offense is going to be 15th at best. Like You can't just have two out of nine hitters. Well, as you said, Torres is good. Um, I'm going to hear you. But, Torres can't be your third uh, best hitter. Interesting. Um, I think they've. I think with what they've done in the outfield, they've improved their offense quite a bit. I agree with you on the question marks. I have Stanton as the 2024 comeback player of the year. Uh, <laughs> Why? Because he's so freaking good, and he I was know so that, freaking good. Yeah, I know. Um, I think that my entire point comes crashing down when he has a quad yeah. something. And I, I get, I get that, but uh, I just have a feeling about, I think this guy's really like he was the, he was an all-star and when I say he was the MVP of the all-star game only last season, I don't mean that it means anything to be MVP of the all-star yes. game. I mean, he was in a, a star of the game in 2022. He had a good first I'm not talking about 20, yeah. I'm not talking about 2017. Uh, so, and then he's been hurt since. But And he's, what, 32 years old now? Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. And the injuries are, are, are definitely troubling. Do you remember when Aaron um, Boone last year talked about how uh, he was, there was a question about Staten rounding the bases and like his mobility. And, and basically Aaron Boone's answer was he can't run at full speed. Like, that's not permanent. I can tell you what happened. Do you want to hear what happened? I there? do. I, they, so uh, the way I understand it, he earlier in the season, he uh, hit a ball to the wall. I We thought it was going to be a home run, so he came out of the box a little slow, and it wasn't going to go over the fence, so he accelerated, and that's where, kind of where he got okay. hurt. Um, and so for the rest of the year, this guy's so serious about – being on the field and being there for his team and all that stuff that for the rest of the year, he was really scared that that was going to happen again. So it wasn't physical. It was more mental. Like, I don't want to pull that thing again. It wasn't like, he doesn't actually run like an old lady. <laughs> like he just, he, he, he was like, I got to stay on this field for the rest of the year. And I, and this has happened earlier in the season. You don't see the so problem in this, off. that this player you're going to say is the comeback player is like so potentially physically fragile. He can't sprint. What, what he's saying <laughs> is he spent the off season getting to a place with his conditioning yeah. where he's going to feel better about that at the beginning so. of the year. Now, again, 
Am I aware that I'm not making a lot of points to back up my bold assertion? Absolutely. Well, that's why it's a bold uh, prediction. Am I aware that that's I'm, okay. I'm out on a limb here and could be could be uh, atrociously wrong? Absolutely. But I just know, and I know that seriousness of purpose doesn't necessarily create performance once you're, especially once you're an older player. But I I know how serious this guy is and how upset he was with himself last Good. year and how. He used Cashman's comments about yeah, him. Yeah, that was, an, that was another that thing. Day. You never hear Cashman say he something was, like that. He was mad about His that. agent and called out Cashman, too. Yeah. And uh, Yamamoto. He needed more motivation. What? Wasn't there a connection? Uh, same yeah. as Yamamoto's agent, Joel Wolf. Yeah. Um, that didn't have anything to do with not getting Yamamoto. But yes, that did happen. Um, there's just so much there mentally for him. He's, he's so not the guy that's like, I've got my big contract and I'm getting older and I'm just going to spend the next couple it's, it's it's not the ellsbury plan he wants to be <laughs> the guy that was, that, that and, was an all-time so, yeah yes but uh now is are his legs gonna allow any of this to happen i i don't so, know but i'm betting on the person let me ask you a question what date are you gonna post the john carlos day in best shape of his life article is that gonna be february 20 20th well, march 1st i it's, let's see uh, the position players are uh, February 26th. Okay, great. I'll walk up to the clubhouse and say, you you are the 2024 comeback player of the year. Um, let's do a story about that. And knowing him, he's very, he's not, he's a good guy. And that's one not, thing I'll say about, about, be like, I'm not about, about Stan is he has handled his struggles in New York as well as anyone has ever handled them. He's always stood up and yes. answered the questions that has been asked of him. He's never been, never shied away from criticism and all that. And I give him a lot of credit for that. And I think if he didn't act like that, there would be a lot more hate towards Stanton uh, than there has been for a in the for way, his performance because it's been. The one thing that I think is forgotten too, like I, I'm starting to see like the whole acquisition of him sort of referred to in shorthand as one of the Yankee mistakes. But he's done a lot for them. He's been clutch. He has been during during pennant race when they were mm-hmm. trying to make the playoffs in uh, 21. Remember that big series he had at Fenway? Uh, I mean, like he's, oh, in 21, yeah, and he was great in the uh, the COVID playoffs. Uh, I remember he had a big right. and then he was. I mean, yeah, 2018. He was he was good all year. Um, I forget how he did in the playoffs uh, in 2018 against the Red Not Sox. Well. In fact, disastrous. And then he got back, and that shows what kind of guy he is. Uh, he got he did a lot of work on not chasing that slider low and away that he was exposed on uh, in 18 and became a more disciplined hitter after yeah. that. Uh, and, the, and then the yeah. injuries happened in 19, 2020. He did well in the playoffs, 21, like you said, big, big, uh, big down the stretch moment. And then, yeah, he was a, then we're already in 22 and he was an all-star and then, and then the, the wheels fell off uh, and it's been a disaster ever since. Yeah. And, and that's why I say with this lineup, it's like Stanton, I know, is probably going to be hitting fourth or fifth on opening day because he's Giancarlo Stanton, right? But there's going to come a point in the season where if he's, if he's hitting 189 like he was last year, like you can't have that behind Soto and Judge in a lineup and expect that lineup to be productive. Like you have to – something has to give with him – or LeMahieu, if LeMahieu's going to be leading off, he can't be a 245 hitter like he was for most of the season last year. Yes. Uh, LeMahieu leading off worries me a little for that. They're sick. I, I'm glad you brought that up. I don't think that's ideal. Uh, what's the alternative? Verdugo probably against righties? Like, because Verdugo against righties is very good, but like, 
unless Volpe surprises everyone and turns into a leadoff hitter at some point this season. Yeah, that's what I said. It's like as, as there's names that were added, and I know there was an article written by Mike Petriello this week that talked about how the yeah. Yankees, other than the Dodgers, added the most value this offseason. Like, I get all that. It's just I still have so many as, – as a person who follows this team – way too closely that is you know, that an unhealthy level like i still have so many questions uh with this team and we're about to start spring training um a couple other things i wanted to talk to you about so do do you think that this could potentially be cashman's last year as general manager that's hard to see he's in year two of a four-year contract i think the bigger question is is this his last deal as gm of the yankees um and i think that's really possible yeah. Um, there's, there's some stuff to the end of my book that I don't want to blow right now. No offense. No, on, um, I'm looking on, very much um, looking forward to reading future. it by the way. And, and I'd love yeah. to have you back on well, after it comes out just so everyone knows the Yankee way, the untold inside story of the Brian Cashman era coming out uh, in May. And if you, cause I remember I had you on Thanks for, for what's that? Jeez, I said, thank you no, for, I know, Andrew, I, for giving me I had plug. you on for, for the cheated book, which was fantastic yeah. as well. So I, I'm looking forward to reading this and having you back on. Well, thank you. I'd be happy to do it, of course. And um, I'll just say that in terms of Cashman's future, uh, it, it, I'll, I'll say this. He was closer to leaving after after the 22 season than anyone realized, uh, including Hal Steinbrenner. And um, he's been doing this such a long time. That I don't think anyone – he. he I think there's an outside chance that he does this until he's 80 because he's never done anything else in his life. Literally, <laughs> I know, he's an intern. He's literally, an intern. it's amazing. Right. So there's a perhaps a very deep identity moment. If I'm not Brian Cashman of the Yankees, who am I? Um, not projecting a little, but I mean, it's when you've done one thing your whole adult life, that's really something. Um, but having said that, um, and the group that he has, like Gene Afterman, who's been one of his uh, most trusted confidants he's ever had, the assistant GM, now lives in California, is still working, but he doesn't have an office at Yankee Stadium anymore. Um, he's had some around Tim Nearing and Michael Fishman, and these people have been together for a really, really long time. And I think that um, continuity is one of the things that the Yankees really have going for them, preceding Cashman, because the people who... Uh, taught Cashman what he knows were with the Yankees in the 70s. And so they have an organizational continuity that is like none other. And they're not that they're not going to abandon that lightly. But having said all that, um, if he wins another one at that point, why are you coming back when you're pushing 60? Mm-hmm. So you think I'm he saying? would walk away at that uh, point? Yeah. I mean, do you think that's yeah. what he's holding out for though? Because it's been <clears throat> so I did, uh, I don't want to compare the research I did on Cashman to the book you're writing, but I did last off season. Uh, we did a, a, like a four part in depth, uh, mm-hmm. podcast about Brian Cashman. And I learned a lot in doing that. Uh, and I actually gained a lot of respect for the influence Cashman had in the nineties under stick Michael and under oh, Bob yeah. Watson. And oh, it's yeah. like, yeah. I think he got a lot of shit uh, from casual fans saying, well, the, he inherited that team. He didn't do anything. It's like, no, he, he had a oh, huge yeah. hand in all of that. But then I think, once he sort of uh, negotiated his way to more power uh, post George's death and and in that mid uh, – when, when was it? Uh, the 2014 or 2015 timeframe where he was able to sort of take a little bit more control 
of baseball ops. Well, it was actually after all five where George gave him full control. Yeah, but then didn't he uh, almost leave again in like uh, 08 or before 09? Uh, the time that he, the time that he knew he was leaving and had to be talked back was after the 05 season. Um, but he had a few opportunities after that, but the real time where he was like, he actually quit after 2005. And then Steinbrenner said, what do you need to stay? And he laid it out and Steinbrenner said, you can have all of it. And pretty much, I mean, there've been things that have come up along the way, like the Hank Steinbrenner era. Um, there've been times uh, when he's had... Powers had yes. flowed in that organization, but basically since 2005, he's been in charge of baseball operations. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. If you look at like this new era of the Yankees, the Aaron Judge era, right? It's like so many great things that you can point to. But then in recent years, so many misses. Like so many, whether it's free agent signings like Radon or trades like the Montgomery for Bader trade, like so many misses and misevaluations on this team. And when you, like I look back to the 2018, 2019 Yankees and you look at that lineup and you're like, man, it seems like they leaned way too far into one type of player. And at one point that lineup was Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Luke Voigt, Gary Sanchez. It's like, how did objectively how did they think that was like a balanced lineup how did they think that lineup was going well, to be yeah. successful like it's it's five of the same hitter with the same weakness like very easy to exploit i can't wait to talk to you about this once you've read the book and i'm not trying to do a plug but like there's so much um you mentioned the Bader for montgomery trade i think you're going to think that was a trade that made sense after you read the book I, I, and I know that's a bold claim. I understand. But, so, I mean, I, I yeah. at the time. <laughs> no, but like going back into their deepest beliefs, that was actually them getting back to what makes the Yankees the Yankees. So what you just described, Voight um, at first, uh, Torres at short, like that whole 21, like they realized at a certain point that they'd gotten away from their North Star of how they evaluate the positions, okay. hitters and things. And they actually, uh, the, the Rizzo trade. Gallo. Um, moving. Gallo actually was a trade that had a lot to do with defense. Um, Left field defense is hugely important uh, in the Yankee model. And so whatever else happened with Joey Gallo, there was a 
uh, an effort to become more athletic mm-hmm. again. Uh, around that was um, twenty one. That was the twenty one. Him 21. and Rizzo came in yeah. in the middle of twenty one. Um, and it, both okay. of those trades made sense. You add lefty bats to the lineup, and yeah, you're right. Gallo could play defense. And all of a sudden, you move Glaber to second, and you start emphasizing youth and athleticism in short, waiting for Volpe and Peraza. Uh, IKF is the plug-in for that. Like, all of a sudden, uh, base hit, not just E6s, but or E1s, or E3s, excuse me, but base hits, uh, infield hits were no, no longer happening. The Yankees' run prevention was short up in the infield. Um, the model that has been in place for the Yankees since the 80s requires since the 70s with Mickey Rivers requires an elite defensive center fielder they got back to that with Bader um there's all these ways in which again they agree with your criticism that there was a time around 2020 where they got in in the beginning of 21 season where they drifted from their core principles and and actually they've argued no one has noticed that we've actually fixed it since uh that's what they would because it didn't work out and I I I at the time well, they were in the ALCS a year and a half ago. Yeah. So I think they would also quibble with you on working out. In fact, you should spend 67 minutes with Brian oh Cashman. He would answer these questions more colorfully I than I would. To. I think I think he would, pun- <laughs> I think he would punch me in the face, to be perfectly honest. Uh, now, nah, if he didn't punch Joel that yeah, day. Why do you think, why do you think uh, he was so defensive that day? Ah, good question. That had been bubbling up for years. Um, I'm basically sitting here as a reporter who's heard these things and knows how he feels representing to you some of what he would say. So I've heard a lot of his objections and his, uh, his group's objections to, they're really proud of the process that they have. And the analytics thing, I, I think you guys, I don't want to presume that you guys would agree, but the, the analytics thing has become such a weird boogeyman in, in the narrative around the Yankees in an era where you'd be so stupid not to have an analytics sure. program and the Yankees have more scouts and more like, it's just the way that this is discussed is so wrong. Yeah. Um, and that was another thing with and, the Ben Ruta um, thing, right? That he also talked about that. Yeah, yeah. 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 That. So like, he's actually right. Like you take a guy that was in our system for a little bit. He's cherry picking a couple mm-hmm. of drills. Kevin Reese, their head of player development is a former player. Uh, their head of pro scouting, Matt Daly, is a former major league player. Um, they are not, there are organizations out there that have only rocket scientists. I'm being facetious, but you know what I mean? Like, they, the Yankees are much more traditional and old school than some organizations. So when they hear all this stuff about analytics, it just like drives them crazy. It's like, you can criticize me for being, um, I don't know. Like I'm not, I'm not handsome like Brad Pitt. Fine, fair to say, but don't tell me I'm a bad reporter. I know I'm a decent reporter. You know what I mean? It's like criticize, like it's not right. Like, so they're going, that's not what's wrong with us. Um, so they're mad about that, and also they have a very loyal and close group on a human level. Michael Fishman has been loyal to Cashman, a good soldier. Tim Nering has been a good soldier, great scout. Like they, so Cashman is not only defensive for himself in a moment like that, but for years has been getting really tired of watching his guys get criticized. And so um, I think a defense of a guy like Fishman was something that was a long time coming. It wasn't by name, but it was like about the program. And I can tell you that like I, I was in, this is GM meetings are very intimate. 
Like they happen in this one little resort. Everyone's mixing and mingling. It's not like the winter meetings, which is this big production. So I'm at the bar slash restaurant in the on the property a couple hours later and around the dinner hour and later with a, with a number of Yankees front office people. And they were so grateful that he stuck up for them like that. It was really good for morale. And I think that was part of it. Uh, so I get that. There was somewhat strategic. There's also a, a conspiracy theory out there. You, Hell Steinbrenner's Zoom that day was not strong. Uh, and it happened the same morning. It was like, well, I talked to Aaron Judge and we're going to buck more. You know, it was like, it didn't really <laughs> It was bizarre. It was um, really weird. And it was like, to then hear what Cashin said four hours later, it was just like, whoa. So if you think that Brian Cashman doesn't understand that he's wiping Hal Steinbrenner off the back page by behaving strongly. Oh. Uh, uh, so there's a lot going on there. There's authentic emotion and there's some real New York savvy and, and loyalty to his people. He's so loyal to Hal. It's like, you know what? Hal's going to get a lot of shit for this. Maybe I should take the shit. I, I do think that's got to be part of it too. He didn't tell me that, but... I know him, and he thinks like, like I, I, you are. I trust your uh, your take on that. My my thinking at the time was Cashman is feeling the pressure, and that this could be his last year if things don't work out, and that's another reason why he was a little bit defensive, not a little bit, a lot defensive in that. And that if they have another middling season, and even if frankly they just scrape into the playoffs and and don't really do anything, I think it's a real question if he comes back at least it would be i, I would hope there's more question if he's coming back because it's like how long are you gonna just keep running it back before you finally say this isn't working um that's where they would that's where his blood would boil right there he'd be like what do you mean isn't working we're in it every single year you're lucky you're not a white sure. Sox fan he would he'd probably think you know um it is working. That's what they want to like, you know? Um, uh, yeah. And maybe and it's an unfair I, standard to hold, but you look at, you compare them to, let's call it the Astros and the Dodgers, the the two best teams in each respective league over the past 10 years mm-hmm. compared to those, it's not working. And maybe that's an unfair standard, but when you have the resources of the Yankees and you have this self-proclaimed it's world series or bust every single year uh, motto, Mm-hmm. That's that's why I think it's fair to say it's not working. And last year certainly didn't work. And the problem I had with Brian Cashman's comments were he seemed to uh, defend his process and just say, oh, injuries happened and some bad luck happened. No, you were an 82-win baseball team, not because of a couple of bad luck uh, ball bonds in the wrong way. This was yeah. You went into the season without a left fielder. I, I, I think that um, there's a level of defensiveness that is – maybe a little too strong on some of those issues. Um, but I don't think it comes from being worried about okay. getting fired. Um, because I don't think he's worried about getting fired at this I point. Think, yeah. I've just been there since the eighties. Like, I mean, he wants to, he'd rather win than get fired. Don't get me wrong. He doesn't want to get fired, but it's not like he needs a job anymore. Like financially, reputationally, this guy's in the baseball hall of fame, no matter what happens. I mean, everything is set. Uh, that doesn't mean That's he's a, he seems he's like a very competitive like individual. And yeah, yeah, and he is. So he's in that. But uh, I didn't. I don't. I don't think that the anger came from like, oh no, I'm yeah. gonna get fired. It came from like, as I said before, um, stop criticizing Hal. Stop criticizing my people. Stop. That's criticizing never gonna me. happen, Brian. You're doing a good you're, job. You're the general no, no, manager no, of the Yankees it, in New York. There's always gonna be criticism. That is the beauty of being a sports fan in places like New York, people care. So there's always going yep. to be criticism. hundred percent. 
And the fact that people yes. care pays his bills because the, the, the ticket money, the cable money and everything. I mean, so a hundred percent, uh, agree with you on that. I wanted, I was looking in this for this in my phone. There's a, to what we're talking about, about like the Yankees expectations of success relative to reality or to other teams. This is a quote from Lee McPhail in 1972 when he was a general manager of the Yankees, the very end of yep. the CBS era of the Yankees. Um, he says, and at this time, of course, he's talking about the 30s, 40s, and 50s. He says, you know, the Yankees are in a strange spot. They are not competing against the Tigers, the Orioles, and the rest of the league. They are competing against ghosts, and that's the battle you can't win. <laughs> that's fair. And I think that extremely the ghosts of the 90s are what – the Yankees are going to have a hard time shaking off for a long, long time too, because the run that they've been on since 2009 would have been considered a smashing success for any other organization. Uh, Just three miss, three missed playoffs, is, right? In that run, I think uh, 13, 14, oh, four, 13, 13, 14, 16 in last year. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and every, uh, winning seasons, although I understand, so that that their goals are higher, and that's kind of the point of that quote, that sentiment. And there, and and I read that, I found, I dug up that quote in my research, and I showed it to some Yankee officials, and they're like, "Oh God, yes, sorry." <laughs> so, and that's and, right, and that's again, like the passion and the and the history and all those things. They also market yeah. that stuff. Uh, so I, I get that it's complex, but from a baseball operations standpoint. And and the uh, ghosts keep getting advisory jobs with the Yankees. Okay, you've got Andy Pettit yeah. and, and all these guys keep you know every every six months coming yeah. back to be a special That's advisor, true. and you got monuments going up every every other homestand. Yes. The ghosts aren't going anywhere. Well, the marketing arm and the baseball arm yeah. are maybe not in complete <laughs> lockstep on those things. But although the, obviously it's baseball that brought Pettit in, and, and that was a good idea, but. Uh, yeah, they're just in the next GM will have to face that too. Now the problem with firing Cashman, uh, after, like after this year, say, is that if they don't, if it doesn't go well, is that what do you do? Where do you turn? I'm you available. Start all over from scratch, right? That's <laughs> right. And a lot of a lot of people would stick their hands up for the job, but yeah. they do have a process in place that remains very admired by the industry. So. If you're promoting from within, that's probably more of okay. the same at that point. If you're promoting from within, yeah. And is that good or bad? Like, are you bringing in somebody who um, might completely change the way the Yankees do business? I mean, at some point that'll happen, and those things are cyclical and do happen. But are you comfortable with? Maybe you're not. Yeah, and the grass is always greener because I look at what the Red Sox have gone through mm -hmm. in recent years with their GM shuffle, and right now with what they've done this yeah. like. They're getting a lot of criticism for how they've operated this offseason, and I would not want to be that. I would rather be the Yankees than, than the Red Sox at this point. <clears throat> you would. I was going to ask you that when you brought up. I mean, Red it's Sox it's not like a slam dunk though, because the Red Sox have three championships since since or right. no two championships, thirteen and eighteen since the Yankees won in '09. But they have last place yeah. bottom out finishes. They've changed general managers a handful of times, and they're the Red Sox and they don't want to spend money this offseason. It's like, no, I don't want to be that. But right. But you've got the you've got the you've had the celebrations in the past decades. But at the same time, I look question. at the Yankees and I'm like, I, at a certain point, I, I think if you have to eventually say 
if our goal, if we want to win a championship, we want to win the pennant and we haven't been able to do that. Like eventually something's going to have to change, even if you're competitive every year and you're in it every year like that as a fan, I want that, but I also want them to get over that, that final hump, which they haven't been able to do. They want it too. They're, they're frustrated too. And unfortunately I don't know that there's an executive in baseball that knows how to design that specifically. Like there are models for how you build a, a good, a good team over a season. Um, the, the, did the Diamondbacks figure it out last no, year? Or did they right. get hot at the right time? I mean, <clears throat> and who knows what the Rangers are going to be this year? Right? Like the Rangers spent all that money on top free agent talent. They had a couple of players come through their system and develop and stuff. Let's see what they are over the next couple of years. And I'm sure if they're if they're if they are just middling, Steinbrenner and Cashman will point and say, "See, they made moves in the short term, and they they were not thinking long term." And look at where they are. Well. Like- it's interesting because you need to bring up the Rangers. So Chris Young, who I covered as a player and has that competitiveness, he went all in. He's like, yeah, he, he kind of tried to do what we we're talking about. And I like, all right, now you're trying to design. You have a good team. Now you're trying to, at the trade deadline, design like a World Series winning team. And they won the World Series. But the move they made with that mentality was Max Scherzer, which did not work yep. out for them. Jordan Montgomery all. was the move so to, what to, is, to potentially you know, secure that rotation, yeah, yeah, ironically. Yeah. And that worked out, but that no. wasn't the all-in move. That was like a solid move, and then he got hot, and Scherzer didn't even hardly pitch, and when he did, he wasn't good. You know what I'm saying? It's like impossible to say, okay, like if you said if you said to Cashman, like hundred million dollars if you win the World Series this year, like yeah. just do it. You yeah. can't. It's just so fluky, right? I mean, it, it spans the one. Have you ever it, asked Cashman geez. or got his thoughts on? like players like Montgomery leaving the organization and going to another mm-hmm. level. And then there being reports and, and in some cases like players like Sonny Gray specifically calling out, well, the Yankees did not do X, Y, and Z, which is why I'm better now. A couple things on that. Um, they take a case, like everything I've been saying, they, they don't generalize to take a case by case, but I, I did reporting on, like not getting Verlander for 17 would be an example. And then he takes off of the Astros, not trading for Coy, takes off of the Astros. Guys doing better elsewhere. And what the Yankees admit is that they didn't have a pitching program in place uh, until they hired Matt Blake and did a pitching lab and kind of modernized their operation where they these guys would have been at their best with them. How many so seasons? One was of the reasons Larry... Blake was hired before the 21 season? No, okay, so okay. I'll get to Montgomery, but just so broad speaking, broad strokes, they feel that, like for example, one of the reasons Larry Rothschild got fired was because Nathan Avaldi didn't turn into somebody good while he was with the Yankees, mm-hmm. and he did after. That was one thing that really was a bug up the butt of the front office. Yeah. We had this guy. What the hell? Uh, and there's a couple examples like that. Uh, they don't think that if they'd gotten Verlander and Cole when the Astros did. The Yankees privately are like, we wouldn't have turned them into those guys. We weren't as good as the Astros pitching-wise. They wouldn't have been – Verlander would not have been Verlander and Cole would not have been Cole with us then. They believe that. It sucks for them to acknowledge that to themselves. But so they redid their pitching program. They feel better about it now. Um, Not player development and major league. Matt Blake is tremendous pitching coach. Uh, Larry Rothschild was too. I'm just saying it was more modernized. uh, with a guy like Montgomery, though, they push back on it. They say he got hot, but when you look under the hood, it is underlying uh, pitch qu- the quality of his pitches and his stuff. 
Uh, he was actually kind of this, a very similar pitcher with us than he was <sighs> with them. They see it that way. That's annoying. That's how they see it. <laughs> they don't see uh, a lot of fault yeah. in that. And um, yeah, that is what they think. Let's they, they think. Let's see how he plays out. Like, yes, he got hot and good for him. Uh, but he's not. I thought when he went to St. Louis, he immediately started throwing more four seam fastballs up in the strike zone. Like his pitch mix was different. Like, yes, but they looked at it. So it actually then changed again. And again, I'm speaking off of memory now, but I have looked into this initially. Yes. Then I believe he went back to his comfort zone a little bit more with the two seam by this year. Uh, so is, is it changed? They changed him right away. And I think he kind of drifted back into becoming who he'd been. Uh, uh, pitch. Uh, I'm not looking at any data right now or anything, but I can tell you that the Yankees studied. Anytime I'm someone sure it crawls right up their ass, I'm sure. It. I'm sure it upsets happy. them. Yeah. Yeah. And on this one, they found that ultimately he's more similar than the narrative suggested. Sonny Gray, they think, hated New York, New York City, the environment. That's a, that's a good example of uh, Yankees could have done a better job with him and Gallo. And if I'm, I may be forgetting someone else, but like scout if and evaluate whether this guy can play in New York. We talked to when and that trade happened, we got the at the time I'm forgetting her name. She covered the A's for MLB.com. And she said, Sonny Gray is not going to be able to handle New York on our show as soon as the trade happened. There and I'm go. like, oh, well, that doesn't well, sound go. good. So that's why it's like, yeah, that that sort of uh, personality evaluation needs to happen. Um, I know we've taken up a lot of your time. So uh, thank oh, you so okay. much. Uh, very quickly, all the Vegas projections have, all the Vegas win totals have the Yankees at like 93, 93 and a half, which is winning the division. Pretty handedly, the, the mm-hmm. Orioles went up with the Burns trade. I think they're second at like 90 to 90 and a half. Uh, how do you see the ALE shaking out right now? Oh, my predictions are so tough. Um, and I'm not running, I don't have, I'm not running the models that these Pakotas and Zips and all those are. Um, I'm obviously surprised by the pessimism on the Orioles with how much talent they have. Um, I would, I always, I always sort of say, like, my job is to tell you what has happened or what is happening and why, and it's math people's job to project what might happen. I certainly think that the Orioles are better than the Yankees. I don't understand why the models don't see it that way. I guess from, I have to unknow, but know my limitations there and leave it at that, but I would love to. Yeah. I I think you agree with with me in that, like, are the Yankees going to be better than last year? Yes, I think so. And I, but they better be not just that, but I I think so uh, based on all the talent they added. Yeah. But I, I, I still don't think they're the best team in the division. Could they be if a lot of those ifs we talked about turn out good? Sure. But I don't think you have to be anymore, though. I mean, I, 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 I wish. I love the one game. I did, too. I liked the one-game wild card system. better than the three-game. Do you know that every single series of wild three-game wild card has been won by the team that wins the first game? So it's basically that. a one-game playoff, which they went away from. Well, that makes me feel a little better because I I, I miss how much it incentivized mm-hmm. winning the division, uh, the one gamer. So um, I feel like September baseball has really taken a hit without that mattering yep. the last two years. Uh, but now maybe I'm 
you're telling me it matters a little more than I had thought to not so play that wild card. Maybe it yeah, does. yeah, I sure. Yeah, I, I, I guess. Yeah. It seems to me like if you have three, you know, if you have uh, uh, 27 innings rather than nine, then it's a little bit more fair. Like, but I like that it was unfair because me it incentivized the division. It wasn't supposed to be fair. Win the division, then, then you don't have to deal with the unfairness. Right. Okay, Andy, thank you so much. Definitely want to have you back on later in the season once that book comes out. But uh, go check out Andy on thank Twitter you. and uh, order his book. I think Yankee fans are going to like it a lot. Thanks, guys. Always good talking to you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.